Welcome to the Someone Summer podcast. It's Saturday, October 21st, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 9. Today, I'd like to talk about gardening with all four seasons in mind. And this means extending the season and breaking into a paradigm of gardening throughout the year rather than this main perception that we have that spring is the season for planting, summer the time for growth, fall for harvest, and winter for dormancy. And though we're still affected by these uh, seasonal changes and want to respect those changes, I think it's really important to understand what we can do to facilitate a year-round harvest. Very early in the human story, we learned that not only agriculture, but also preservation techniques are a huge element to food security and how civilizations were able to sustain themselves even in harsher conditions. And we were already learning complex chemical processes about fermentation through experience and observation. Actually, it was a a greater deal of food security then uh, than there is now. So I want to talk about the whole picture, basically what a typical year looks like as an urban farmer living in a four-season climate. And climate change is sure to complicate that uh, story and that narrative that I'm going to tell, but these techniques can essentially be used to make gardens happen anywhere in any climate. And uh, these ideas can be implemented and modified and used in unlikely spaces or to create mobile garden operations or other creative endeavors. So I'm really all about bringing creativity into gardening and city gardening because it's something that since I started, a lot of people just tell you is fruitless or impossible or won't yield enough. And I'm all about doing and I found that you can yield a lot of food in a small space. And so extending the harvest and actually allowing for more of a succession plan to go go through each season will actually help you create an even more dense food forest in your city environment. So I'm going to go through the four cycles and the general tasks of each quarter with the ultimate goal of extending the season to a year-round food-secure harvest. And I'm going to start with spring, um, which makes sense to me as the time of birth and rebirth. And I think this is a time where you should be starting your seeds, especially indoors, if you have the ability to and allow your volunteer seeds to germinate or start early. If you have some soil that you've had for a few years and there's maybe tomato seeds in it and those tomatoes want to come up in January, you can facilitate that growth and actually try to push it along so that you have a nice early harvest to start and you'll continue your succession from there. Learning about planting the right cultivars for each season is really important. Learning about the cycles of each particular plant, that's taken me many seasons and many years to get a handle on because I'm into permaculture, so I have a great diversity of interests and trying to grow different companions and understand the life cycle of each plant, how to save the seeds, how to harvest correctly, when you should harvest, and some Some plants you need to let that go to seed and then you won't really be able to eat it so you need to have half that are for your harvest and half that are for seed and there are all these things to be taken into consideration in the springtime. And I think succession planting or decentralizing your operation, maybe starting a garden in two different places, maybe your front and backyard some in pots and some in raised beds. Run some experiments like 
have some seeds growing over at a friend's house so when you go and visit them you can be excited to see what you're growing you'll be surprised that when you decentralize how much more food you can grow and collaboration I think is always encouraged here the more that we collectivize our small growing operations and chicken rearing operations for instance we're able to actually provide for a lot of people um, more than more than they would like us to believe as spring moves into summer season you're going to want to continue those succession plantings into the first day of fall and be mindful of crops that have a shorter harvest period so things that can be harvested in less than 60 days are usually good as you approach the fall equinox because you're going to want to Get that try to get that harvest in before the frost really sets in. However, a lot of with the proper greenhousing techniques, a lot of those plants can make it to the spring and possibly have a spring harvest as well. So again, you you have two sets of succession when you start planting in the late summer going into the fall. And I also use the summer for things like infrastructure maintenance when it's nice out obviously pruning and trying to maintain it as it grows wildly and moving plants if necessary and also for experimentation. The summer should be on autopilot in certain sense like the plants just do what they do, the soil just feeds them and it's a process that you can be relatively independent from and that's what we want. We want really low maintenance gardens. So when it comes to the summer, you really want to be at the height of enjoyment and not at the height of doing a lot of hard labor while it's really hot out. Um, and that's the nice thing about creating these habitats that sort of have their own ecosystem and their own balance from the soil going forward including the fungi and the insects and the microbes in the story of everything can really allow you to take a step back and it will just grow. And uh, that's, that's a really beautiful thing about the summer season. And you really just want to facilitate the life of your plants and they'll go very strong into the fall season from there. And then just when you think that you're relaxed and, like I said, enjoying the summer, autumn comes up really quickly. And then it's like this countdown to when it's going to get cold and when the plants are going to really stop their growth because they've been in rapid growth mode and now they're in fruiting mode and they can feel it coming on. So how do you continue extending the season? For us, it's really been all about cold frames and greenhouses. The very first greenhouse we made was a Brooklyn brownstone window frame that we found on the side of the street that someone, I think a gut renovation was happening and they threw it out and we took that and put some hinges on it and actually made it angled, an angled box uh, so that it could face towards the sun and we were growing our seeds and starting our seeds early in there in the spring and you'd be surprised how that heats up in there uh, when the sun gets to it. So you have these small microclimates that you're making and those are really important. We also immediately got a UV treated tarp and created our first PVC greenhouse and it's been a walk-in greenhouse, so one that's about six, seven feet tall, so we can walk right in with our uh, garden beds. 
However, we're moving towards sort of these smaller hoop houses that go right over the beds as, again, we're decentralizing. So instead of having one large tarp with one large greenhouse that you just walk right into, we're sort of switching to this other model where you're using smaller tarps to go right over each individual bed, and then that's creating a better, smaller microclimate where things can get warmer faster. Um, whereas trying to heat this huge greenhouse in the winter was uh, quite difficult to, to keep it warm. So that's another uh, really a huge thing that sets in during the autumn. You really want to focus on how to keep it warm and stop uh, frost from really shocking and killing your plants so that you can get the most out of your harvest because we still have plenty of tomatoes out there that are green and I would like to get them to ripen on the vine if possible. So the greenhouse going up in a few weeks is going to be huge for that and they should continue producing along with the squash and some other things for a while. Um, and we also have some lettuce going uh, some root vegetables like beets and parsnips and turnips and carrots and all of that stuff will benefit from this microclimate and just a little bit more warmth as we go into the autumn season. And again, fall is a really busy time because you are also focusing on taking in your harvest, the last of everything that is coming in, drying the herbs, uh, canning things, pickling things, fermenting or infusing oils, trying to preserve and be creative with your preservation so that you can make the most of everything you worked really hard for. And I also think of it as this time to sort of, we got to get to spring. There's not going to be a whole lot of growth going on. So we have to take what we have, make sure that that's available to us all winter. And then, you know, the winter palette will happen of soups and stews and you'll want those herbs then, uh, even though they're dried. So I bring in a lot of my potted plants during this time, um, things that aren't frost tolerant and are going to get shocked. It is nice to bring them in so that they can acclimate to inside and you might be able to extend their life by some weeks. Um, eventually when it gets cold enough, they will. Uh, the annual plants will die, but that's okay. You wanna bring them in, make sure they're not buggy, collect the seeds, dry the leaves, and really you know, keep the most of your harvest. And then the last pretty huge task for the autumn season is to do a lot of your soil production during this time. If you think about it, uh, trying to get these microbes and encourage them to come to your soil and live there and reproduce there and eat there, that is a task that takes a lot of time. And you can measure the amount of them by the amount of heat that's coming off your compost pile. So you, pr you have a pretty good indicator of whether your compost pile is alive or not. Now, if you are doing a cold compost, I've said in a previous podcast that it will take you much longer to break down your material. But if you're planning on planting in the spring, like most of us, the fall is the perfect time to build up your pile. So save all of your food scraps, um, get your leaves together. If you see your neighbors throwing out bags of leaves or sticks, uh, grass clippings, all of that, build your pile, get it going, get it hot. Um, and just add lots of material to your garden at this time because even if it's a raw material like seaweed from the, the beach or um, some dried leaves that you found, 
any, any of that material is going to need six months to break down. And if you have those microbes present, if you have worms present in your compost, they're going to break them down for you and relatively quickly. In my case, I have chickens, so they're like another step of just like really quickly turning over uh, material, you know, scratching it up, eating, digging. They're really like, they have sharp nails and like they're my composters. I don't even have to do very much because we walk in there, turn the soil over with a pitchfork and, you know, a couple inches down, there's just soil now because the, you know, life is getting to everything and, and turning it over. And, and that's part of the decomposition bringing life. So I would definitely say during this time, you want to be adding lots of material because that material needs time to break down and you want it to be ready for spring. And that way you're not fertilizing in the spring because you want your nutrients to be in a plant soluble form. And they will be if if you developed this uh, microbiology going on underneath the soil. But again, that takes time. So it's good to start exploring that now. And it's really fun to build a compost pile and watch it steam after a few weeks because that's how you know uh, that there's a, you know, a living uh, habitat going on underneath that pile. And it's also, you know, nice and cool out. So it's very visible and easy to observe. You don't even need a thermometer necessarily. You can just turn the pile, watch the steam, feel the soil. You can feel the warmth come right off of it. And that's a good indicator that, you know, your material is going to be really ready for you next spring to uh, sift and spread onto your garden. And then that is going to be like, that's that's uh, better than any miracle grow that you could ever get because that is the ecology going back into the soil. That's soil remediation, and that is the first step to any growing process. If you are uh, if you are really about uh, regeneration, that is the only method that's going to get you there. Then there comes the dead of winter, and I'm talking about maybe December to March where I am on the East Coast. And that fluctuates depending on where you are, obviously. But uh, during the winter here, I definitely see a lot of other tasks become important and possible during this time. But as my garden gets more sophisticated, I'd like to utilize more biothermal dynamics. And this means heating garden spaces and keeping the soil warm with creative practices that utilize biothermodynamics. That may seem like a complicated task, but it could also be some simple techniques. We've seen people use hot stones or uh, terracottas heated by candle that emit slow amounts of heat. We also experimented with garden design and abutting a bed to the chicken coop, uh, which has some heat emanating off of it in the winter, I'm sure. Uh, so we'll see how that goes along with the greenhouse uh, on top of it. And just starting earlier in the spring, uh, making the winter the shortest, the period of dormancy the shortest amount. So you could even start in late February if you have uh, the right conditions and it seems like things are going that way. Usually uh, you're, if you have good compost, even 
you know, in the depth of your beds, it, it might not freeze over. The worms and everything living down there might actually have enough heat in the center of the, the raised bed to actually keep the soil soft all winter. And I've definitely experienced that. The ground outside may be hard, but when I go in the greenhouse, I can dig right into the raised bed and it's, uh, it's not frozen over. So that's also really good for starting earlier in the spring to get things going. And then there's a time for planning the garden and designing your permaculture and thinking about the organization of things and really learning and reading about new techniques and uh, books really opened me up to a lot of things. Conversations with others and other farmers opened me up to a lot. So during the winter when you have a little bit of time to explore what next season will be like, it is good, I think, to plan that during that time and really take that time. There's something to be said about saving snow and water when possible during this time. Uh, usually this is the time where most places get the majority of their rainfall or snowfall. So all of that will be soaked into the ground, but if you are concerned about water, it's definitely smart to start with a tank and to start collecting some of that water to be used later. And the ideal operation with your beds would again be returning the ecology to the soil so that it holds water, it holds moisture better, and you have to water it less. So again, you might only need the amount of rainfall that does come, or you may need to supplement only a little bit because you have really strong uh, soil architecture that is allowing water and air to move through the soil, but also allowing that to be kept. Um, and that also comes from really good mulching as well. If at all possible, some of these uh, plants, especially the root vegetables, should have greens that can either be juiced or eaten, sauteed or raw. They'll probably be pretty tough, so probably sauteed or stewed is the best way to eat them. But there's hopefully gonna be some supplementing that can be done, or even some growing inside that can be done. I'm excited to experiment with more of that this winter too, and just trying to eat what you can, even if it's just greens or potatoes uh, from the garden during the winter. So we'll see how that goes, and that definitely takes a few seasons to get into. Now a lot of people wonder, what do you plant in the fall season? And that's a pretty big gamut. I would like to explore that for a second so that everyone can get a better sense of what grows better in the fall. And I would definitely say the first category is lettuces. Arugula does so well in the fall. I plant fall arugula now every time because it's it's a really consistent source of greens and they're always tasty. Um, then you have things like beans and root vegetables like beets. Uh, you have Brussels sprouts, broccoli, any of the brassicas, cabbages, uh, cauliflower. You have carrots, uh, collards, fennel. Then you have your whole potato section potatoes, sweet potatoes. You can do all of the onion sections like garlic, shallots, every onion. Um, and there are lots of frost hardy kinds, uh, lots of frost hardy kales available, kohlrabi. You have mustard greens and peas and spinach, turnips, parsnips, uh, celery. 
it goes on. So you can definitely look up lots of charts that will tell you the best times to plant different things for the fall season, but those are just some of them. And as you can see, there's quite a lot. So you can take advantage of just choosing your four favorite ones. And I think growing what you like always motivates you to pay attention and document and watch and observe and also step in when necessary and move the plant if you think that it needs it. So really just spending time with the plant and learning it and trying to have a relationship with it is usually enough in a season or two to really give you a lot of experiential uh, knowledge. And as far as what is best in the summer season. Those are all your classics like tomatoes, tomatillos, peppers, eggplant, corn. Lots of flowers are going to do well in the summer. Most of your cool season stuff is actually your hardy stuff and things that you will find very useful during the fall and winter season like squash and pumpkin and all that stuff's going to come in slowly and one by one and so you can really take advantage of that and grow that stuff going all the way into the winter and just letting the squash plant die right outside until it's all crispy and dead but maybe it has like three pumpkins on it so you have pumpkins for the winter. And that's a really great feeling. So if you ever want to ask me about what I'm growing, you can definitely hit me up and we can talk about it. And I have a list online of the seed share and there's a lot of different cultivars on there and many of them are fall season stuff. So if you're interested in getting some, we can hook you up with that. I always find it amazing the strides that are made from somewhere in April to May and September. The sun is so strong and it just changes everything to have the sun coming back and to be higher in the sky again. So closing out the winter, going back into spring, all of these techniques should be bleeding into each other and helping us uh, really extend the season and try to utilize our harvest all the time. And even if it's small amounts, we'll start supplementing. And as we begin to work together, the supplementing becomes more significant and more secure. And there's more ecology and a return of lots of plants and animals um, and strong ecology that extends far beyond us and agriculture. But it's more of a way of life and a return to something that I know that I've always known and I try to understand why I feel so disassociated over time and trying to live with the earth all year and uh, not to be separated from it. It's a spiritual experience, I suppose, but it's also so scientific and like I really see all of the layers of it. So I hope that you enjoyed my ramblings on how to garden out the year and work hard to always have it on the mind and present in the heart. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, share it with someone. This concludes episode nine of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Good night.